Hey Hoosiers, welcome back to the All Careers Considered podcast hosted by the Walter Center for Career Achievement, which is the career services center that specifically serves students and alumni in the College of Arts and Sciences at IU Bloomington. We're on a mission to help you achieve career success by supporting you in your pursuit of impactful experiences, designing your life, sharing your story, and building meaningful connections. My name is Sophie Todd, and I'm a peer coach for the Walter Center for Career Achievement, working with an amazing team of undergraduate and graduate students who you have or will hear from in other episodes of the podcast. You may have heard that you can do anything with a College of Arts and Sciences degree, and I'm here to show you that that really is the case by interviewing alumni to ask them where they are now. Next up, for our last episode of the season, is this week's interview with Megan Anderson. Megan is a sustainability manager for the city of Raleigh, North Carolina, where she works alongside city leaders and organizations to create citywide climate change initiatives. Megan centers equity and resilience in her work in order to ensure that all neighborhoods and people are equally prepared to take on climate change now and in the future. Megan graduated from IU with degrees in environmental science and management, international policy, and psychology. I had an amazing time talking to Megan and learning about her career path, how she promotes resiliency in her job, and how her College of Arts and Sciences degrees have influenced her life. I really enjoyed our conversation, and I know that you'll all find wisdom and insight in all that Megan has to say. Enjoy the episode. Hi, Megan. Thank you so much for being here today on the All Careers Considered podcast for the Walter Center for Career Success. We are so excited to have you. So to begin, Megan, I know that you've had a variety of different positions in sustainability and relating to climate change since you've graduated from IU. Now you're a sustainability manager for the city of Raleigh, North Carolina. So I want to ask you first about your current position. What all does it entail and how how did you come to work in your current role? Yeah, so I could go on for a while. I'll, I'll give you the highlights here to get, to get started. So, um, yeah, I'm the sustainability manager for the city of Raleigh. Um, this looks different, I would say, as far as a position in, in lots of different cities. But for us, I'm in the city manager's office and on the city leadership team, which I feel very lucky to be able to have that role. And I'll talk a little bit more about that. We get to work with all this different city departments, as well as anyone in the community on the work that we do, which is really important and also kind of intimidating and a lot to manage, but in a good way. So I can talk more about that as well. We really think about sustainability as that triple bottom line or the three P's. You hear people mention that a lot. It's the environment piece, economic development, and also social and racial equity. Or you hear people, planet, profit, all those things together. So when you think about a community, that really is everything in the kitchen sink uh, when you're thinking about that. So it's exciting. Uh, It's a fun job really a dream job in a lot of ways to be able to do that and work. If you like, you know, things to be different at any moment um, and lots of different th- topics to talk about, it's definitely a good thing for that. One of the most challenging things about it, I think, is prioritizing. You know, when everything in the kitchen sink is in your wheelhouse and everything and every idea people bring to you is good for people and good for the environment, it's hard to say no. So we're really focusing on looking at high impact and how to empower other people to get involved as well. So we have a Raleigh community-wide climate action plan that we rolled out this past year. Again, that's a really scary and exciting place for cities to be in where we have these big community-wide goals. Ours is an 80% reduction in greenhouse gases by 2050 for community-wide. 
in some ways we can do a lot as a city, but in many ways we don't have a lot of control. And so we really need to think about how we can empower others to also take action at the same time and how the city can lead, how we can get out of the way, how we can create opportunities to help support the foundation of climate action across all those sectors. So uh, pretty exciting work. That's kind of the umbrella of what we're doing with a lot of our, our work right now under that climate action plan. Like most other cities in the U.S., our top emissions are coming from energy use in buildings and transportation, which has a lot to do with our with land use decisions and the way we grow and develop, you know, up or down, wider or up. <laughs> and these two flip-flop as far as emissions and cities for being the top in most big cities as well. So we're dealing with the same kind of climate actions. We're also really growing exponentially in cities, and we're often listed as one of the top on the top lists for quality of life, for seeing the most growth, best places to live, best places for families, best places for tech, for finding a home. But at the same time, we have a lot of issues, like many other cities, with disparities. And with all the growth comes a greater divide in our economy and opportunities for some and not others. And so really wanna lift up equity and resilience as part of our uh, climate planning as well. And so I'm actually just, I'm really passionate, have been passionate about equity work as well and have lifted it up in our work for a really long time. And it's becoming uh, more and more visible, I think, in our communities over the past couple of years, but um, we're also working on equity within the city and I'm on the equity leadership team and, and helping to lift up that work as well, which is, really important to what we do. Wow, that is amazing work. Um, that is so cool to hear about all that Raleigh is doing to prioritize climate change and sustainability, especially as the news sounds scarier and scarier about climate change every day. Mm -hmm. So that's amazing to hear that Raleigh is doing so much impressive work and that you're implementing a climate action plan and especially that you're prioritizing equity in all of this. Um, I think that's something that's really important and valuable in this kind of work, especially as these plans are making decisions for a lot of people or implementing new rules or actions to, to remember that every community needs to be involved and that equity is extremely important in that. I think that's amazing to hear about. So you said that your position is on the leadership team of the, of the city of Raleigh. So talk a little bit more about that. What's it like to have your position be kind of at the top of city government? Yeah, again, I feel really lucky just for kind of a context for folks. Um, sustainability offices are relatively new in the history of government. You know, they've been making roads since we've had roads and, and things like that. But when you think about sustainability work, there was a big bump in those across the country during the Obama administration with federal funding, where a lot of folks were able to lift up an office or a department or a position, usually just one position, maybe even. And so in the course of history and government, it's relatively new. And so it looks different. So some folks might be a part of a bigger department. Um, they could be in the, the leadership in the mayor's office or in the city manager's office. They could be in a public works department. And there are benefits and, you know, drawbacks to any of those things, I think, just because you know, I mentioned a couple of them. We are a small but mighty team, I say, in the city manager's office. It's nice because my peers are the other leadership in the city, and we work up and down in the organization a lot, and I'm able to talk to my peers about things going on and really truly understand their barriers and challenges and work together with them as peers on, on making behavior change happen, because really at the heart of all this, it's really all about people management, to be honest, in relationships. 
And so that is really important. And I really value that being able to understand that. And then some of the drawbacks might be, you know, we don't have a large department that we're connected to where when we try to implement something, we've got all the administrative pieces and the implementation pieces internally to work with. We have to have really strong relationships with those departments and others and use our social capital a lot to to make things happen and even get invited to meetings to know what's happening early enough to help make a change. So, you know, that can be challenging and exciting, but it, it makes it difficult sometimes. And I think some other folks might have the advantage in those ways of being able to grab more resources directly from their department. So good and bad with both. But I, I think in Raleigh, it's great that it's in the city manager's office there as well. And I'll, I'll just mention as well, being on the leadership team, especially this past couple of years with all the things that we've gone through with the social unrest and COVID impacts, it's been really important and important to me to really feel part of the community and feel like I'm making a difference and helping make decisions for to support our you know, 4,000 plus staff in the community as we go through these things, it's become even more apparent. And so really truly understanding what's going on in the government at that level has been really helpful for me to, to really understand how, I, I often say with our sustainability work, we kind of have to be like water. You're trying to get to a certain goal, but you know along the way you might go up and over and around or through, and you have to be flexible, nimble, adaptable to kind of figure out how to make those things happen in innovative and creative ways, especially when you're faced with what we've been faced with in the past couple of years or even before that, but it just makes it more, uh, it's amplified in the past couple of years to kind of say, you know, you're faced with a lot of things. There's priorities that that have to happen immediately because of impacts of things like your health and things. And so you really have to kind of think about how to still get things done or take advantage of opportunities when things change. So I do feel really lucky that we have it set up that way. And I think it says a lot about how Raleigh's leading in, in this work as well. Yeah. And from an outside perspective as well, it seems this is very telling of what Raleigh's prioritized and that they are leading in this space, especially since you're able to collaborate so well with other important departments in the city and to sit on the on the leadership team. I actually had an internship a couple of summers ago in 2020 with the city of Indianapolis in the mayor's office there. Oh, so nice. I saw firsthand how those those priorities began to shift around a lot during COVID and with the racial justice movements happening and the Black Lives Matter movement happening. So seeing how cities are dealing with those shifting priorities and so to see Raleigh not only handle those priorities and keep those, um, keep public health and all that at the center, but add in climate change and sustainability as well. I think that's very telling of the amazing work that Raleigh and that you are doing. I wanted to zoom out a little bit and go back to when you first decided what to study at IU. So you studied environmental science and management, international policy and psychology. So I'm wondering how did you decide to study those? And was it something that was easy for you to decide or was it a bit of a, a journey to decide what to study when you first got to IU? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think, you know, it was definitely a journey and also in some ways it like, you know, kind of came to me, I think as well. So I fell in love with environmental science in high school. I grew up in Indiana. I, well, I'm from Detroit area, but I grew up in Indiana. You know, it's pretty flat and I got an opportunity to go out on an environmental science advanced or science class when I was, I think, a sophomore in high school. And we went out West and got to learn all a lot of technical aspects of environmental science out there in the wilderness and also do a lot of backpacking, you know, climbing up and down 20 plus miles a day up and down mountains. And I remember just 
crying for the first time, seeing the mountains and really connecting with nature in a different way. Not to say that there isn't beautiful nature and just in Indiana, especially at IU as well, but uh, really found myself with that and really started to travel around and understand that there's a lot of different things out there to experience and through a lot of different experience over time. And so I really fell in love with learning about people and cultures from a young age through lots of different experiences and with environmental science through that experience in high school. I've also been fascinated by psychology um, and how the human brain works and sustainability work really is about managing people, like I mentioned, and behavior change. So it's really helpful to have that understanding of human behavior. That being said, I actually started college as a journalism major. I wanted to work for National Geographic and I was the editor, one of the editors on the high school newspaper. And, you know, I have a big respect for journalism and it's just grown in my experiences over time. I feel like it's somewhat of a dying art in its traditional sense, but it's re-emerging in a, a grassroots way here. We really need journalists. I just made a decision when I was in some of my classes, it wasn't for me, but I, I also had some classes with environmental science and I, I switched majors and that, you know, it really made a lot of sense to me just because of my love and passion for that. And I think at that point, I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do with it. I just knew I really had a passion for that. And I'll just mention too, I don't think that with this kind of role I'm in, you have to have this degree, you know, and, and there wasn't even a sustainability degree. That wasn't even really a word. People also I feel like I'm dating myself and I've really not been away that long that people also were kind of like, what is environmental, you know? And so now it's like, what is sustainability? What is resiliency? There, these words are kind of buzzwords, but you don't necessarily have to have this background to come to this work. That is the thing about, you know, as I mentioned, it's a newer field and it's such a large uh, connected community and systems of things that you're working on that you don't have to kind of follow just one path, but that was my path. And it's a path that, I think is very useful, but um, there's many others that you could follow and still come to this work. I, I think, think we should all be doing this work. So that <laughs> that's my little plug for that, I guess. <laughs> well. Yeah, very true. I think one of the one of my favorite parts about IU is that we have so many opportunities to explore exactly as you did. Maybe we come in here with one major, switch to a different major that fits us better or that fits our interests better. And then as well as regardless of the major that we choose, the fields that we want to work in, oftentimes we will learn the skills that we need for those, regardless of what the name of our major says. So I think that's yeah. one of the one of the best parts of IU is that we're equipped with with skills to work in a field, regardless of what our major is. Maybe not like med school, regardless of your major or um, <laughs> something. But I think that is a perfect example of the amazing things that IU does for students. How have you found that you've used your, your degrees in your current job? Well, I'll just say first, I've always been such a science nerd. I just love science and it comes hand in handy in many ways, even just to kind of nerd out about sciencey topics with others. You know, you're always meeting new people and collaborating and it's something I can definitely bond with other people over. We move through so many different topics in this work. You're bound to run into someone else that has some sort of environmental science nerd or you know, I'm, I'm really not good at trivia, but I sure know some random, you know, science and animal topics just from studying it in school. So, and psychology is always useful um, with the behavior change and collaboration work and understanding humans more. And then, you know, I think like you were saying, one thing is, you know, I think it's really important to have a good foundation in classes that prepare you for this type of environment, but also the broad backgrounds and working in this field, there isn't one right degree or path. And, and you were just kind of hitting on that as well. 
actually, I actually have a, a master's in sustainable business. And I went that way, knowing that I love the science world so much, but also wanted to have a little bit more of that practical business sense, because there's so much of what we need to do and high impact that has to do with the business world. And so having that kind of related in there, I, I've used a lot, I think, as far as just the knowledge I have, and I really enjoyed a lot of my classes around risk assessment. And really, I think without inherently even thinking about it from day to day, you know, some of the health impacts and things that I understand through doing risk assessment courses, which are what the EPA does to think about how chemicals affect your body at different ages and different types of people, you know, kind of gives me inherently an understanding on some of the things I'm talking about from day to day. So for example, we use a lot of data to look at impacts on communities for different things. And, you know, some of the things that I've just known through uh, what I studied around the impacts of the environment uh, on human beings and, and your body inherently have helped me with where I'm at in ways that I don't even think about from day to day, I think. But also give me that passion knowing that it's important and why it's important. And that one thing I think is hard for pe- to motivate people with this work is too, is, is sometimes you see the immediate impacts, but a lot of times it's the things that are going to happen over time. And it's really harder when people have something right in front of their face that they're dealing with to care about something that's not going to happen right away. And so I kind of also think of like your body as a microcosm of your community in a way where, you know, the things that you do to impact your own health relate to what your environment is. And then you know, the bigger piece of what you play in the environment affects the rest of your environment and the people around you. And so that kind of understanding, I think through systems and environment, you know, natural resources has kind of helped shape some of the work that I do. And I'm kind of just thinking about that right now in the ways that I don't even think about it from day to day. I love what you just said that your body is a microcosm of your community. That is never thought of it like that before, but I think that makes so much sense and is actually a really, really smart way to think about the changes that you could make as you, as you move into living a more sustainable lifestyle, especially so that it helps your community. I want to move now to transition into the theme of the semester season of All Careers Considered, which is resilience. So Megan, I'm wondering what does resilience mean to you and to the work that you do? Yeah. So resilience, I kind of hit on this a little bit. Resilience has in some ways become a new buzzword, I think, that that folks are still trying to kind of figure out. And it means so many different things. It's really kind of hard to put your finger on. Like I mentioned, sustainability was a buzzword before, and now resilience is kind of building on that sustainability work that we're doing in a lot of ways. We talk about resilience in our climate planning a lot. So you know, there's the greenhouse gas reductions that involve creating strategies to mitigate and reduce emissions that cause climate change. And resilience is that adaptation to make our community stronger to the impacts of climate change. We also talk about resilience in relation to our health and bodies, which is really kind of the same concept, like I was saying before, where how do we make our bodies and our minds stronger and more adaptive to disruptions? How do we keep our minds and bodies and spirits strong and healthy? And that's kind of what we're thinking about the same thing. How do we keep our communities strong and healthy and adaptive to disruption as well? So from our community climate action plan, building resilience is one of the three key objectives. It's greenhouse gas mitigation, uh, addressing climate equity, and building community resilience. So a more formal definition for resilience in our communities might be your ability to prepare for, withstand, recover from a disruption to our normal life. And as Raleigh continues to experience those impacts from climate change, these disruptions will become more frequent and stronger and they'll last longer. So here in Raleigh, climate change impacts include some of the biggest ones, more frequent 
more severe weather like hurricanes, more flooding, more heat impacts, longer, hotter days, nights that don't cool off that affect our bodies and our plants and even our pavement in different ways. Those are the things that we're seeing. So strengthening community resilience involves planning for our communities to develop equitably and also rebuilding better following a disruption. So like I mentioned, with flooding and heat, those are some of the biggest impacts we're seeing in the southeast of the U.S. and across the country and world, you hear about that a lot more. So the equity and resilience piece, I would almost say, are how we implement our climate actions. If we're looking to reduce our greenhouse gas through our strategies, through the climate plan, we need to think about how we're doing that in a way that's equitable and creates resilience in our communities. So it's often the case that those that contribute the least to greenhouse gas emissions are affected the most by climate change, and those are our frontline communities. So if you look at data across the U.S., there are so many disparities that compound in our communities, and these disparities have been brought more to light with the impacts we've seen these past few years, for sure. So those that work and spend a lot of time outside the very young or older populations, those living in substandard housing, those that have lower incomes, those that have less access to healthcare or transportation or healthy food options. And often those frontline communities that are most impacted are disproportionately communities of color. So these issues exist across the U.S. and cities across the world. And you're seeing with COVID, those impacts are compounding on top of that. And the things that I mentioned are helping compound why COVID might be impacting different communities differently as well. So sustainability and resilience is all about systems and equity is at the heart of the work that we do and, and thinking of systemically, how do we change our systems to better support and create better opportunities for everybody as well. And so uh, I'll just say one thing quickly about the way that you work on equity. So from a perspective, there's a group that I think would be really good for students to kind of look into if they're not aware and they're interested in this work. The Government Alliance on Race and Equity does some great work on looking at how the government system uh, can un undo and look at doing things differently and, and address disparities and who's benefiting and who's not. And if you're thinking about it, there's a lot of disparities with a lot of different populations. And as I mentioned, if you're looking at who's affected the most, no matter what kind of population you're in, say the LGBTQ community. If you're a person of color in the LGBTQ community, you're most impacted if you look at the numbers overall. If you're a woman that may not be getting the same access to resources as men and you're a woman of color, your impacts in a lot of health and job and finances are also at the bottom. And so we're looking at where folks are having the most disparity and trying to fix the systems for everybody by bringing up everybody together. So it really isn't about focusing just on race. It's about focusing on who's having the worst outcomes and helping bring up the system for everybody. So I think that's something important for people to think about because I think there's a lot of discussions right now about focusing on race versus other things. And it's not just about that. It's just looking at who's having the outcomes and trying to fix it so we can bring everybody up together and everybody gets to have the opportunities and it makes it better for everyone if we fix an opportunity as well. I could go on for a while, but these equity issues are systemic and that they're the systems we operate in, whether it's healthcare, government, transportation. So I think any field you go into, I would just encourage students to be thinking about this topic and educating yourself. I'm a white woman. I think sometimes it's a little more uncomfortable for white folks to understand these topics because they're a little bit invisible to us sometimes. And I would say we need to be 
understanding and educating ourselves and trying to make change the most. Everybody should, but I think we really have a big responsibility to do that. So I just wanted to share that I think that's something important for students. I don't care what you know field you're going into. Very important to kind of think about that and understand that you're part of a bigger system, no matter if it's your personal life or professional life, and just to be aware that you have the power to help make changes and, and think about these things in a different way as we move forward. Thank you for sharing so I that. I took that on a little bit of a tangent, but hopefully that's. <laughs> no, I'm so glad that you did. I think everything that you said is so key, um, especially as students. I think it can be easy to not think of resilience in terms of a system. We can just think of resilience is just about yourself, like get back up the next day. But I think it's very important what you said that in terms of climate change and sustainability, resilience means building up a system that can withstand changes and that can withstand the consequences of changes. And then in terms of what you were saying about equity, I think is so important too, that we take the time to educate ourselves and how we might be affecting other groups in the system and how we can build up groups that may not share the same advantages as us within the system so that everyone comes up together, like you said, instead of just one group of people. Um, I think that is so, so key looking ahead, um, especially within something that's so severe as climate change. So thank you so much for sharing that and for that wonderful advice. You mentioned when you were talking about resilience, some of the, some of the problems that Raleigh is facing, like flooding or longer nights where they may not cool off or among other consequences, like more severe storms. What are some of the challenges of working in climate change where a lot of the consequences seem really scary and seem very long-term? Like you said earlier, you may not get to see the results right away, but you have to know that it's long-term. So what are some of the challenges of working in climate change with one of the largest problems that I would say our world is facing right now and will continue to face? Yeah, no, great question. And it's actually interesting because in some ways, some of the things people aren't seeing and then in other ways, some people in the community aren't seeing them and others are. And so how do we, how do we uncover that and try to focus our resources and time on creating areas where we're fixing some of those issues. So you brought up a couple of examples I mentioned, like flooding and heat. So if we think about those, flooding, for example, is a big issue in Raleigh. We have a lot of water. We're a city of oaks. We have lots of trees. We have a lot of green, but we still have a lot of water and, and runoff. And as climate change you know, becomes more severe, it's just becoming more and more obvious. And as we grow and we become more dense, there's more and more impervious surface that's not picking up that water and where that's being built is also a big deal. So as we think about it from a climate change and equity perspective, historically, lower income folks and people of color have been in areas that were lower lying, that were a cheaper place to build that maybe necessarily we shouldn't have been ha having anybody live or build as well. And so folks in those areas are seeing the, the biggest impacts to that. And as we develop and we think about developing in other parts of Raleigh that might be a little bit higher level, we have to think about what happens to folks downstream from us as well. An interesting thing in Raleigh and in some cities across the country is that we're, I would say, call it a, a mother may I state. It's a Dillon rule. So that's something that's kind of invisible. And if you think about like what you see with cities on, on TV, there's a lot of differences I could go into about what people kind of think of cities and how it works. It's different depending on where you are. So we have different levers to pull than other places. So in some climate plans, you can create ordinances and zoning and, and require people, for example, to build above the energy code to create better, higher energy efficiency and lower greenhouse gas emissions. In Raleigh, we cannot. That's a state 
that's a state mandate and they can they can control that, but we are not allowed to at the, the city level. And so we have to look for more carrots than sticks, you know, in those kind of ways, which in the context of climate change and big action, a lot of times in behavior change, it's just easier to change a rule and make that system have that rule. But when you can't, you have to look at individual actors and think about other mechanisms for doing that, which becomes more complicated. And that plays out with something like flooding. So I, I know I'm going a little bit off there, but just to kind of have that, we're in Raleigh, we our climate actions might look a little different than a place that can make more of those decisions uh, at the city level uh, with their actions and they can change the rules and laws in a different way. So with flooding, um, we're one thing that we're doing right now is we have a great local group we're working with called Partners for Environmental Justice. And they work in the communities that are one of the communities that's most affected. There is historically African-American community. A lot of other things have happened over time in that community and why even they're placed segregated like they were back in the day as well. The issues impacting them are, are growing over time related to flooding and other impacts. And so we have a partnership with Partners for Environmental Justice, created a watershed learning network, and it's a program to teach uh, local folks. They can come in and learn more about what flooding issues look like, how they connect, what opportunities there are in the city, understanding and meeting folks from the city and understanding how to interact with the city and, and also giving feedback to the city. So we're trying to help empower folks to understand how they can really get involved at their own level to they're creating their own neighborhood projects to deal with their flooding or understand flooding in a different way. And then also giving us feedback and creating those relationships. So we understand what their barriers and challenges are and what we might be able to do to continue to help them and support them through these issues as well. So that's a way that we're kind of trying to do that and work directly with kind of frontline communities and empower them to kind of take action as well. Cause we, you really don't want to go in and assume, you know, what's best for communities uh, when you're working with them as well. You know, each neighborhood might be different. Each person is different. Each family is different. And so when you're trying to take care of an entire community, how do you think big and think small at the same time? So that you got to kind of think of it that way to kind of think, how can we make systemic changes? And then also um, think about individual needs as well as much as possible. So it's not easy. It's pretty complex and you have to kind of think about breaking that down in a good way, but working directly with communities affected is a good way for us to do that. And it's tough work and I don't think we do it enough anywhere. And we're really trying to think about better ways to do that and best practices. And we're hoping to build this model into other things like heat. We have a big heat project that we just did and it's common across cities in America that you might have, it might be 20 degrees hotter in one part of a city than another. Now think about a day where it's 100, 115, and then it's, you know, 130 or 100, you know, over 100 in a different part of the city and what that might do to folks. And, and again, where are those areas where there's a lot of impervious surface and there might be worse impacts there? You know, there's not tree coverage. Maybe folks need to wait for the bus. They're walking. They're playing outside, you know, on their school lunch. We, we just got to think about where folks are most affected by these things and then talk about what mitigation strategies can happen. And again, government can't do it all. What can we do to kind of think about that? But then also, what can you do in your own life? What do you need at your own house, at your own school, at your own organization that you can do to kind of help mitigate these things as well? So it's kind of a partnership to think through um, how we can lift up these ideas, educate, create opportunities, create funding opportunities, whatever it is with these local communities on these topics at the same time.
I think this speaks really well to something, a couple of things that you mentioned earlier, one that sometimes at the local level, the resources, you don't have the most resources. And so you have to really reach out to the organizations in your community and form partnerships with them. And I think that speaks perfectly towards what you're just saying, your partnership with Partners for Environmental Justice. And I think this is also a bit of equity in action where you are focusing on empowering communities or empowering neighborhoods, because like you said, everyone is different. And to remember that there are some communities that are going to be disproportionately impacted by climate change. So not only working with partnerships to overcome maybe a lack of resources, but to do so in neighborhoods or in areas of Raleigh that um, are facing those disproportionate impacts. I think that speaks perfectly to many of the things that you've said today. I wanted to ask you, what's one or two things that you think students could do to help live a more sustainable life? So that's a great question. And I think, you know, we need individual people doing things in their daily lives. And I think I'll take a step back from that and say, and this is something they can do. It probably folks might think I'm going to say recycling or something, but I might say more educating yourself on, on what your local area is like. So I mentioned every community is different. So if it's something like recycling, do you have a single stream system where you throw all the recycling in one place? Do you have it separated? You know, understanding what that looks like and then helping educate those around you in a positive way. So I think that's your little, your tests and ways of thinking about behavior change and how to be effective. Um, there's a lot of different ways to say things to people. There's a lot of different ways to motivate people. Think about maybe someone that might be hard to motivate and how you might do that in a way that you can bring them along positively. Those are good ways to kind of teach yourself skills that you would need later. So I think educating and then sharing that education with others is really good. And think about what you're passionate about. There are so many things to do and it's kind of overwhelming, honestly. So, you know, if you think again about that microcosm of your body and then your environment, like in the end, almost everything is bad for you and almost everything's bad for the environment in, in certain ways, right? But you have to think about what's your balance and where you where you can make an impact, where you're really, where you really get excited. And so I'll bring it back again to the equity issue. I really think that we all need to be thinking about this in a different way and, and more explicitly. So I think it's an invisible thing if you're not thinking about it every day, but to think about what your local community and neighborhood looks like and who's benefiting and who's not. Are there ways for you to get involved? If you're going to get involved in sustainability and climate change, really, I think you should start from a, a focus on your community and who's getting impacted the most and what we can do um, in that way. And then on the flip side, high impact. So like where, where are the areas that you could really have a high impact? So Oftentimes, I actually used to work at a university uh, before this position, and so I work with students a lot. And one thing, you know, I think as you're coming up, and, and I, same for me as I was coming up through that, is you might have a really specific idea on what you want to do, and to maybe focus less on making it happen in a very specific way, but like listening and understanding the system that you're in, and being more flexible and adaptable to get to the point of getting around the essence of the goal that you would like, but figuring out a way to do that by empowering others to kind of help you and figure out a way to do that where it can be more sustainable over time. And you can set up a process that's really going to stay even if you weren't there anymore as well. So that's one thing I think would, would help you leave a legacy with the things that you think about doing. And then, you know, on a more simple level, um, you know, think about Knowing the energy use in buildings and transportation are some of our biggest impacts. Uh, can you think about, um, is there a way to 
take less trips or I know I'm, I almost annoy myself because when I go somewhere, I can't just go one place. I have to make sure I get my groceries and get all my errands done and everything as much as possible on one trip. It's just a little almost game I play with myself in my head. So people don't have to be like that, but just, you know, thinking, being a little bit more aware of that and, and in a positive way, sharing that with your friends and family as well. It's not feasible for everybody to take the bus all the time. And I don't think we should be asking everybody to do that, but if you can, um, it'd be great to be able to think about understanding, um, you know, different transportation options. Can you walk? Can you bike? Can you get out of your car more often? Do you really have to take that trip? Um, can you make sure you're turning off your lights? Can you make sure you're taking care of your air filters so your energy efficiency is better? Just being aware of where you can have a higher impact in your daily life and help others have that impact as well. And then, and then just growing your skill set through those processes too. If you're being intentional about that, I think you can kind of learn a lot of things. It doesn't matter what job you go into, that will help you collaborate better, I think as well, if you can get folks to make these changes. Thank you so much, Megan. That is great advice, not only for me, but for hopefully everyone who's listening and all the, all the college students who, who hear that. Um, I think it's so important what you said, like education, action, whether it's like small or large, intentionality and collaboration. So those are some like great, great points that you made. I want to thank you, Megan, not only for that advice, but for your time today and for taking a little bit of time to speak with us and tell us all about your career and about resilience, about what Raleigh is doing in terms of climate change and all the amazing things that you've told us today. If students want to reach out to you or get in contact with you, is there a way that they can do that? Sure. I can share my email and phone with you and I'm on LinkedIn as well. Awesome. We will put that in the description of the podcast then, but thank you so much, Megan. Yeah, no problem. Mm -hmm.